You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Karen Gibis here with Father Michael Malloy, and we're grateful to have you with us. Did you hear that you can listen to Real Presence Live in any of the daily programs here on Real Presence Radio via our app? Simply go to the App Store on your phone and search for Real Presence Radio. Once downloaded, Real Presence Radio is accessible anywhere you are at any time. So if you don't have the Real Presence Radio app yet, go to your App Store now and download it as you listen to our next interview. Well, Father, we're on again. Here we go. Yeah. It's good to, it's good to see you again, Karen. Um, it's, uh, and, and to hear that your family's well, because that's, that's always important. Those little babies are important even if some of those little some of those little babies are a little bit older than babies yes some of them are a little bit yes they they might not be happy to hear you call them probably not babies. but that's okay i was i was <laughs> i was called a baby by my aunt until i was well into my adult life because <laughs> i was and i still am as a matter of fact you said well i um my, i have an aunt karen and so they call her big karen and they call me little karen yeah. and so i'm still called little karen little even karen, at 41 yeah. years old yeah and that's all right that's all right it's it's uh after a while you realize that those are probably more terms of endearment than anything oh, else yes, exactly not meant in any way to offend or hurt so well we are very very happy this morning to have our first interview sean and mary pat gallagher um sean and mary pat are you there yes we are yes well, i am it's great to have you with us um it's good to hear your voices again we have had occasion to meet each other in the past and we'll talk about that in just a little bit but before we begin uh, sean and mary pat tell us a little bit about yourselves so that our listeners know who you are uh pat let's start with mary pat let's start with you if you don't mind, Father, we kind of got it turned around. So oh, that's, fine. Start. that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Hi, I'm Sean Gallagher. Uh, I'm the oldest of 10 children. My parents were Jack and Catherine Gallagher from the Ranch, 18 miles south of Highmore, South Dakota, uh, just inside the Crow Creek Indian Reservation, about a mile north of uh, Stefan or Max Corn. I went to grade school at Stefan Rule in 1960 to 68. That was a one-room schoolhouse that became two rooms while I was there. We didn't have any running water, but we did have electricity and propane heat, so it was a good place to go to school. Wonderful. I went to high school in Highmore, South Dakota from 68 to 72, and attended Mount Marty College in Yankton, South Dakota from 72 to 1976. Okay. And Mary Pat, what about you? Well, I grew up with, um, I'm the fourth of nine children, um, two girls and seven boys of Leo and Edith Jean Roman. I grew up in Norfolk, Nebraska, went to Sacred Heart Elementary, and graduated Norfolk, Norfolk Catholic High School. Two years at Mount Marty College in Yankton, and then finished up two years Kearney State College, which is now the University of Nebraska at Kearney. And then I continued on into education, and I have a master's in education from the University of Louisville in Kentucky. Uh, together, we have a family, and we have been blessed with four children, Brian, Katie, Jackie, and Thomas. Wonderful. Well, that sounds, that sounds like a great family, and I'm assuming you met at Mount Marty? Yes. After uh, we had met at the end of her second year, the end of my second year, and basically we started dating a little bit, and then she transferred to Kearney State, 
after she had left, I kind of realized how much she had meant to me, and so we developed our relationship through monthly trips back and forth between Kearney and Yankton. And in December of 75, I proposed to her, and she said yes. So on July 17th of 1976, we were married in Iguala, Nebraska. We lived in Lexington, Nebraska, while Mary Pat finished her degree in special education. And then we lived in Bismarck, North Dakota, and Highmore, South Dakota for a year, so we could both work, and I applied to law school. Um, I was accepted at the University of Notre Dame Law School. We lived in South Bend, Indiana for two years, and London, England for one year while I was working on my law degree. Mary Pat taught special education in Laporte, Indiana, in a regular fourth grade class in London, England. Um, I graduated from law school in 1981, and if you remember, that was uh, the biggest recession since the Great Depression. So I had some difficulty finding the type of legal work I was looking for. So I ended up applying to the U.S. Army Judge Advocate General's Corps and was accepted pending passing the bar. So I took the Nebraska State Bar in the summer of 1981 after graduating, and got my results that I passed, so I was commissioned in the U.S. Army in September of 1981. We then went to the Judge Advocate General School in Charlottesville, Virginia, until December of 81, and then I reported to my first assignment at Fort Knox, Kentucky, in late December 1981. Wonderful. That, that that's, uh, sounds like a wonderful sort of life, and as it laid out for you, but... Um, in, in the midst of all of that, you experienced an incredible loss in your life. Can you tell us about that? Yes. <clears throat> that loss was unimaginable. On June 16th of 82, um, had a beautiful pregnancy going into delivery, and that evening, um, full term, it was on to the date practically, and water broke, and went to the hospital, and... About 12 hours later, after three hours of um, pushing and Pitocin on top of all that, um, Brian was born. But when he was born, as you hope that you're given the baby right away, they took him and put him in the incubator, and they started working on him. And I could see him as I looked over my shoulder, and I thought, oh, what is going on? Please, Lord. And then they took him away, and um, they came back to me with news an hour later that they had worked very hard on him. And he had a strong heart at the start. Um, his lungs, he just wasn't able to breathe on his own, and he had lost a fair amount of oxygen during the distress of the um, labor. And, um, but he did not make it. I had a new midwife, um, at the start or at mid throughout the whole, um, delivery and labor, labor and delivery process with calling the doctor. And the doctor just thought, new time mom, new time midwife, you know, things are going fine. I'll come in about eight o'clock in the morning and check out things. Well, things didn't check out the way that he had hoped they would. So, um, after that, um, the whole thing in my mind all of a sudden hit, wait, he wasn't baptized. 
I wanted him baptized. So I actually got a priest in, and he baptized him after he had passed away already. And um, if I continue here, um, the opportunity was given to me to hold him, and I was just like, how could I hold this child that did not survive? It was just um, insurmountable grief that I had, and I couldn't think about doing that, but then after continuous encouragement, even a little bit later, I was still encouraged to hold him. Something in my mind said to me, do hold him, because at some point you're going to wish you had, and you'll regret if you didn't get to do that. So um, we did hold him, and I uncovered his um, blanket and saw what a gorgeous, beautiful child he was. Fingers were so long. I'm a piano player, and I thought, "Oh, look, he's going to be a. He would have been a piano player because how long his fingers were." And it was just, um, it was a beautiful fact that I, I finally held him. Um, it was just I can't express it anymore as to how awesome that was. Can you talk a little John? bit more about the impact that um, his death had on you and your life together? And has you know has had through the years. Well, from my perspective, it, the birth was after he passed away. It was I was just devastated. Um, I can remember being how surprised I was that uh, how much his loss hurt uh, for someone that, rationally speaking, I, I could not say I didn't even really know. Um, I quickly realized, however, that there was more than nine months of hope and expectations that had died with our son. Uh, we've been together for several years, and we were looking forward to having a child, and we've lost him. You know, we picked his name Brian in honor of my brother Brian, who had died in, 1990, in 1977 in a car accident, and our son Brian was my parents' first grandchild. And instead of calling them with good news, I was calling both sides of the family to tell them our son had died in childbirth. And for both of us, it was just devastating. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, this is Father Mike Malloy, and we're listening to Sean and Mary Pat Gallagher talk about um, the experience they had with the loss of their child. Um, but... Um, as I would say it this way, as as God's providence would have it, that's only about half the story. And and the reason we have you on is to talk about the remarkable blessing that you received uh, years later. Um, tell us about um, that experience and uh, how that all came about. Well, when Brian died, uh, we'd been in the army for less than a year. And we had no plans to really stay in the Army after my first tour, so we had to decide where to bury him. Mary Pat's family had only lived in Ogallala, Nebraska for six or seven years, so and had no family buried there. And we had no connections at Fort Knox. So, consequently, we decided to bury him in Highmore, South Dakota, Catholic Cemetery, where my grandparents and brother were buried. This worked out for us because we were able to visit his grave whenever we returned to visit family on the ranch or in Highmore. So we both had a really rough time at first. We couldn't attend the burial um, because of 
Mary Pat just having gone through the childbirth. And it was a long distance from Fort Knox, Kentucky. So we had all of the emotion to deal with of not being there for the burial. Um, but we grieved together, talked to each other, cried with each other, and prayed together. We knew we wanted more children. So from 1984 to 1987, we had two boys, two girls and a boy. And between raising the kids, work, and life, we both were at peace with our loss. We did take it on with our life. Mary Pat, are you here? I think we lost you. Here, I'll give it my phone. Yeah. Or Sean, maybe you could go ahead and... Here, I'm going to give her my phone. Okay. <laughs> what did you know? Um, <laughs> not where I was. Okay. So we decided we were going to move the baby to Black Hills National Cemetery. After calling, um, talking with the funeral director, we knew... Did you say that? No. Okay. I'm not sure where we are anymore, but... That's okay, Mary Pat. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, so you're talking about you decided to move... Uh, Brian's body to to um, the National Cemetery, and that was how many years after he had died? It was 37 years. Okay, so then go ahead and so, talk, continue. Thank you. So this past summer, we decided to move him. So we contacted, got all the arrangements made and everything, and the funeral director in Highmore told us that um, when the excavation occurs, it's possible that the casket will be broken, will be cracked. Um, and turned out the um, casket was placed in an adult plot, and a little tiny 12 by 24 casket was not recorded as to where in the plot it was. So when they dug into the lot, yes, they cracked the casket. And so at the time, we said to our director, if Brian is viewable, we would like to see him. So she knew that. So when they had to open the casket, because we had to put him in a new casket to move him to South to um, Black Hills National Cemetery, um, she was totally blown away. She called us. We happened to be in Oregon visiting our daughter out in Washington State, and we were traveling in Oregon. Anyway, she called us and said, you will not believe this. Your child is a beautiful boy. He looks just like the day you buried him. And we were just incredulous. She said, the clothes that you put him in were dingy, so I took them off of him. I just washed the clothes, and I put it back on, and there is no deterioration to your son's body. And we just were like, holy cow, how can this be? So November 8th was the day that we um, decided to, uh, that we were arranged to, to bury, to recommit him in the cemetery out at Black Hills. And... Um, so the morning of the 8th, we wanted to drive him ourselves from Highmore to the Black Hills. So we went to Highmore, and the funeral director met us, and our son Thomas and daughter Katie flew out to be with us as well. And she met us in the hall, and she said, I just want to give you a couple heads up and know that his fingernails might be purple, but that just happens immediately, but there is nothing else about him. So when Sean and I walked down to the to see him sitting, laying there in the casket, he just looked like a sleeping baby. Um, 
I was just so overwhelmed myself. I, I was just thinking, what a beautiful opportunity for us to see our son again after 37 years in the same condition that I last saw him. And um, the director had told us it was, if we wished, we could hold him. And so I wanted to hold him. I thought, this is a, whenever will I get another opportunity like this? So I picked him up. And I sat down with him um, and um, just marveled at his at his um, beauty. And I unwrapped the blanket to his hands, and his fingers and his hands—they were just amazing. They were just beautiful. Um, had no idea what I'd buried him in because the picture we had from um, taken back in. Um, 1982 was kind of blurred, so it was kind of amazing to see those clothes again, too. And and that's another piece of my story here is my mother-in-law wanted to take pictures of him, and I just was pretty adamant about him not, about not having pictures. Why would I want pictures of my child who passed away? I, my mind at 27 years old, what was I thinking? I, I was just surrounded by grief. Well, she took pictures anyway, and I was um, very grateful at that after the fact. That's a little bit later in my story. But so, Sean, what was your reaction to um, Brian? I was definitely thought that he was, his body looked perfect. Um, if you got pictures that we've given you and that I think you posted on the website, people can look at them. Um, there's an autopsy scar on the top of his head, and there's an autopsy scar in, the, in his chest. And Mary Pat actually had talked to uh, a funeral director back here after she came home and was showing him, shared the pictures with him. And he was amazed at the condition of the body. He said they all hoped that bodies would remain like that, but... He had never seen one quite that good. And then when he heard that there was in an autopsy, he was totally astounded because at that point he had not he had not realized there was an autopsy. And so he was just surprised because he said the trauma from an autopsy generally causes huge amounts of deterioration in a body. So he just had no explanation for the fact that that didn't occur in this case. Hmm. That's um, and I, I had the privilege of being with you um, for that burial, and had uh, you shared at least parts of the story with me, and uh, I was also um, amazed, especially when you said, "Do you want to see a picture of Brian?" We took it yesterday. I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute, that can't be." Um, so. Now you've um, buried him back. Um, you you buried him again, and um, can you talk a little bit about um, what this has meant to you moving forward about closure and about healing and uh, about your own faith? Well, people have said to me, you know, this must give you closure, and my immediate response is, I had closure back in 1982. Um, well. Maybe a year or two later, I don't know, but that was long past. Um, I accepted the fact that God took him, and and I was very much at peace with it. But I think what 
going forward means to me is what what mission does God have in mind for us with this? Is is it telling our story? Uh, who do we tell our story to? And when you gave us the opportunity to be on the radio with us, I thought uh, if this can reach, I don't know what reaching moms that lost parents that lost their children um, is, but I know that I've spoken with a, a women's group in our um, church, in our Catholic church, and there were several women with tears in their eyes, and I would just say to them, this is tears of happiness, but but they, they reached into their own hearts because some of them, it was a very personal, I've spoken with a man, he was telling me about losing his child, and I told him my story about Brian, and he just looked at me with warmth and, and thanksgiving in his heart. So for me, it's going forward and it's spreading God's love. Sean? I agree with Mary Pat that closure came to me within a year or two after the loss. Um, I think that our faith and our love for each other brought healing quickly. Um, I regularly have discussions with God on my insecurities of faith and always end up resolving them by putting it in His hands to help me to trust in His love and forgiveness. Given that there was no expectation that we would ever see Brian's body again after we buried him in 1982, I have to conclude that seeing our son's non-corrupted body has some meaning and some message for us. there's got to be a reason. So this mystery or miracle was put there to, I think, help all of us who are open to it to overcome those doubts and insecurities of faith. Uh, I feel that where we can, we have to pass on the photos and our description of what we saw so that others can draw their own conclusions as to what it means for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I uh, have to tell you, I, I lost a, a brother when he was uh, two days old. I, I mean, I didn't ever know him because I was born after him. And having shared with you um, this reinterment of Brian and and your story at that moment has done exactly what you what you um, have just expressed here. There is there is a, a lifting and a hopefulness and um, uh, an amazing awareness of that this promise of eternal life and the mercy and love of God is so very real and so in my own small way um, and in my own personal life what you just said really has touched uh, touched me and given me just a kind of renewed hope um, about how good God is to us so so that's already beginning to happen I guess if that's maybe the beginning of the answer to that question of why did, were you privileged to have um, this moment in your life um, so what message would you leave with listeners this morning, especially parents who have maybe lost a mm-hmm. newborn? Well, for me, I have put Brian's picture on my mantle where I can see him, and anybody that walks into my house can see him and ask about this child, and I am happy to to tell them about him. And whereas before, I kept him hidden. I mean, I had him in the closet, and... Uh, I would look at him every once in a while, but I didn't share him with our children. And um, so finally, in 2009, when my son was graduating from college, 
he was the youngest at the time. Um, he is the youngest. Um, I made pictures of Brian and the original picture that Sean's mom had sent me. And I gave it to each one of the kids for them to recognize that their son, that their brother was a part of our lives, too. And although they knew it um, and they would think about him from time to time, they just really never had a picture. And my son, when I asked him, you know, what was his thoughts about seeing his brother again, he ended, he told me um, that he has come to recognize it as a great mercy and divine miracle for a purpose, purpose greater than us. And I think that's um, how I want to end that. Um, Sean? Yeah, this is the hardest question for me. Because if you've lost a child, whether it's a newborn or an adult child, it's one of the most difficult things a parent ever goes to. Uh, when my parents lost my brother, it affected them so profoundly. And the same happened for my sister and her husband, who lost a teenage son. My message would be to be open with each other in your grief. Forgive yourself whatever blame you put on yourself. Trust in God's love and mercy and continue moving forward. One minute, an hour, one day at a time. Okay. Uh, Sean, we, I th- Sean, I'm going to have to interrupt you. we got to go to a break. Sure. But I want to leave with those, those good thoughts that you just had. We appreciate you guys being with us and sharing this wonderful story. Coming up next um, on Real Presence Radio, we have the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Um, so you can after you ask, offer your personal intentions for that to that end. And then later on, we'll talk to somebody from the Terrace Octa Retreat Center. Please stay with us. <laughs> 